This is the 19th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, X-Zone Lures, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live where we are going to talk about bass fishing. We have a rare occurrence on this Monday morning, August 21st, 2023, where we still have some hot elite series action going on. It looks like Koya Fujita is in line to win uh, to win his first elite series tournament. Now, it's early. It's early. If you're listening to this on a replay or iTunes, you obviously know what's going down, but... Uh, this would be a big win for a young Japanese angler who's done everything he can do over in Japan. We kind of got introduced to him uh, with Brandon Polinick and some videos that he did in the past. I talked to him one time in the opens last year. Uh, we were we were eating. It, there was it was free hot dog day at one of the opens, and he had uh, Sega was there, uh, who is one of the top uh, bass fishing photographers in the world. So I wanted to introduce this to this guy who's been kicking our butt all year. So I got to talk with him and his camera crew uh, briefly. And then obviously we know what he's done with the uh, wacky rigged crab this year and the fuzzy dice this year and the live scoping and the ultralight line. Don't look now. He also has an outside chance to win angler of the year as the elite series go to the final stop. And uh, looks like he might pick up his first elite series win now talking backstage before the show with one of our guests today ken duke he said already give him the trophy even though there's still eight hours of fishing left on champlain he doesn't think in a smallmouth tournament with as good as as he has been this year that there's any chance that uh that he's going to give up that title uh good to be back in studio a full week of shows we have omnia fishing uh Polish Pete and Trevor Lowe on tomorrow. Still working on a cool guest for Wednesday and then Uncle Frank on Thursday. But today we have a couple of cool guests, return guests. Obviously, we have the one and only uh, from Fish Insider now. Uh, that would be Ken Duke and then also uh, part of Fish Insider and a former BTL guest uh, who I've, I've gotten to know really well over the past year is Billy McDonald. Let's bring these guys in. What's up, guys? Thanks for jumping on BTL. Billy, you're on vacation in Michigan, right? Yeah, it's been a fun trip, so time to go back home, go back to work for a little bit. Uh, a non-fishing vacation, though? Non-fishing. This was a wife vacation, so... I, I will course, be... We hundred percent honest. Never been on a non-fishing vacation. Yeah, we stayed. <laughs> we stayed on a lake though, so it wasn't all bad. So at least I can hang out around the water and look and see what's going on. That's doubly bad, Billy, because now you're yeah. on a lake with a non-fishing vacation. Is it a lake that has fish in it? Oh, it did. Happy wife, happy life. They say so. Okay, uh, make your sacrifices. I won't continue down that road. But you said you will be getting on the water here the next in the next week or two after some smallmouth. No doubt. I'm ready to go to Champlain and do a little live scoping myself. There you go. Uh, Ken Duke, thank you for yes, jumping sir. back on uh, BTL. You have a new job title since the last time you were on. 
I do, Matt. Yeah, you know, uh, after almost nine years at Fishing Tackle Retailer, I'm now uh, starting a new company with Bill and some other friends and very talented people in the industry. We call it Fish Insider. And let me show off the logo right here. Get that uh, headphones thing out of the way. It is. Uh, Fish Insider is uh, going to be a print magazine. We've got a website. You can go to it right now, fishinsider.com. Uh, we've got an e-newsletter you can subscribe to at uh, Fish Insider News. You can subscribe to these things on the website, actually. We're, where we are different, where we are stronger, where we are bigger, and I believe a lot more powerful, is, uh, is in our two other areas, which are consulting and production services, audio, video, social. And on the consulting thing, that's where Bill plays a really big part uh, with Fish Insider. Uh, Bill is uh, Bill is one of the best bass pros I've ever met in terms of his skills off the water. You know, the insights he brings to a company, uh, the connections he makes, the exposure he gives them, and, uh, and the advice. And uh, Bill is part of our consulting team. I do some of that as well. We have some other people who are really knowledgeable about the industry. I think uh, one of the things that excites me most about Fish Insider is the traction we've gotten early in the consulting world. Billy, got to be excited to be a part of this. And I mean, anything with Ken Duke is going to huh. uh, is going to be uh, interesting and probably successful. But are you along with me like you learn something new from Ken every time you talk to him? Every day. Every day is a new adventure, to say the least. Uh, so. Talk a little bit about Bill your involvement. charitable. I know. Well, Ken's usually the one passing out the outlandish compliment. So every once in a while, you got to return the favor, right, Billy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, about your involvement. It sounds like you're doing a lot on the uh, back end of this and excited, uh, excited to, I guess it's kind of, I wouldn't say a soft launch, but I mean, once people can get that magazine in their hands in September, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to, and everything's going to blow up here in the middle of September, and it's been wide open. We launched this uh, on Friday before ICAST, and it's been overwhelming, uh, accepted by everybody in the industry that we've talked to. So to be able to go out and and help companies and help anglers too, you know, we're, we're also trying to help some of the anglers there with the consulting and these companies. You know, there's a lot of great companies that are done on kitchen tables trying to get into the industry, but they just don't know how to break that edge. And we're trying to bring some insight to them to try to help them get into the industry in a bigger way. All right, let me ask you this. The majority of BTL listeners, uh, I, I like to say I have the most educated fan base in uh, the professional fishing industry. Now, it's not a huge fan base because there's a, a, I think it's small, but it is dedicated people. Uh, for the for the average guy, weekend fisherman, tournament fisherman, talk about like what fish insider, what the point is for them. They're not in the industry. They don't have a bait company. They're not at that. Like, what is the value for just the average uh, bass fishing fan? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. And I think that uh, while we are geared, we're we're basically a business to business entity. Yeah. We are focused on the the manufacturers, the dealers. Uh, the wholesalers, the the rep groups, we're focused on those people, but we also put a lot of attention on professional anglers and want to be professional anglers. Uh, I think the folks who are trying to break into the industry in some way, uh, they're going to find some value in Fish Insider. As a matter of fact, one of the things we're we're going to be cranking up here in the next couple of months is a, a very robust job board. So if you're looking to find work in the fishing industry, 
we're going to have a platform for you to find it. We're going to have a platform for you to perhaps even post your own resume and get the word out for what you're looking for, but also to find the jobs that exist out there. Because as you guys know so well, most jobs in the fishing industry get filled without anybody reaching out and really putting a spotlight on it. They're, they're done through relationships. And if you don't know somebody in the fishing industry, it's hard to break in. And we want to, we want to, uh, knock that door down a bit because obviously if, uh, if more people are aware of openings in the industry, we're going to be able to choose from a larger, stronger pool and we're going to make the industry better. And that's our goal because we believe fishing matters. I'm not kidding. That is probably the most often email that I get is I'm a college kid. I want to get into the industry. I have no idea how, do you know of anywhere or, uh, I'm having a midlife crisis. I want to change my careers. I hate my current life. I want to get into the fishing industry. Can you help at all? But uh, that's cool. Yeah, we're really excited about that. And, and there are just so many moving parts to Fish Insider. There's, there's never been a company uh, with the offerings that we have. And uh, that's all due to the contributions of guys like Bill and and uh travis lloyd nathan benson art newberry and you know joel vandekroll uh, Paige zaslavsky i mean my gosh a lot of very talented people are working some in front of the scenes like bill and myself today and some behind the scenes to make this the most powerful uh thing we can make it and we think we're going to make a significant difference in the fishing industry uh billy if people want to get this magazine sent to them or whatever. I mean, can they just go online and sign up for it? Go ahead. Ken. Ken know that answer. Well, they can, but what we're, what we would encourage people to do is if you're already involved in the industry, then um, if you're, if you're a retailer, if you're a, a manufacturer, if you're a wholesaler, a distributor, somebody who's working in that, that B2B world mm-hmm. of, uh, of fishing, this magazine is for you. How and many you of those are up. there? How many people are out there that are like that? I mean, you go to ICAST, it seems like everybody is, but then you go across and you're like, man, that's got to be a small market that you're targeting. Well, I would say that our market for the magazine that we're targeting is about 10,000 people. Okay. Um, And that would be the the best estimate we have is that there are about 8,200 tackle dealers in the U.S. Wow. And then there's another couple thousand people who work for manufacturers, wholesalers, the other group. Uh, and we want to get to all those people. And, and I would encourage all those people to go to our website, fishinsider.com. You can sign up for the magazine. You can sign up for the e-newsletter. Now, for the folks who are, are maybe just aspiring to a, a career in the industry, maybe they're looking for a job within the industry, I think their best efforts are going to be to subscribe to our e-newsletter, Fish Insider News. You can do that at fishinsider.com as well read that thing. Initially, we're going to go out a couple of times a week, but very soon we hope to expand that to five times a week. And it's going to be full of industry news. It's going to tell you where there are openings and opportunities. It's going to tell you who the movers and shakers are, who's changing companies. And as you get into the industry, that stuff becomes very important to you and it becomes a big deal. But um, for, for the most, for the person who's not currently already working in the industry, I would say the magazine is not targeted at you just yet. So hold off. But uh, by all means, pay attention to that website, fishinsider.com. Get that e-newsletter, Fish Insider News, and you're going to be up to speed quickly. How'd you get now involved we, in this, Billy? 
and we will have a digital magazine as okay. well. Yes, we will be available out there. So, I mean, it is available. Uh, and the best way to do that is to sign up, like I said, to get on the website and sign up for the Fish Insider News, and you'll see that digital magazine come out as well. So, okay. And Billy, how'd you get involved? How'd you get involved in all this madness too? <laughs> I guess wrong place, wrong time. No, it, uh, <laughs> it was a blessing to say the least. You know, I, I met Ken. Uh, a few years back, actually, we've known each other for quite a while. We did a uh, media event together. And then with Travis Lloyd, too, Travis and I have been friends for probably 25 years. And we've all kind of been talking off and on, trying to find a way to do something else in the industry. And it just seemed like the stars aligned perfectly to make this happen. All right. You ready for uh, Watts Bar in a couple of weeks here? Now I'm going to St. Clair and try to clear my head. <laughs> Watts Bar catch, is going to be a grind. To catch all the fish before you go to Watts Bar. And be... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you and got any stats on Watts Bar, Ken? Uh, <laughs> you know, Watts Bar is not exactly the most frequently visited venue out there. When it is visited, it's usually brutally tough. Yeah. It's kind of like fishing the Ohio River, so maybe I got a little advantage on this when I can go out and grind. Yeah, You've won you a BFL out there before on the Ohio River, haven't you? Yeah, I have. So been a good place I, right. I, and, and the bfl i actually i had a whopping uh, i had two fish that day but i had seven pounds one ounce i'll remember that one for a long mm. time so you want a bfl with two fish oh yeah it's the ohio river man hey ken has there ever been a bfl one with two fish i gotta believe that on the ohio river there's been a bfl one with one fish but i don't know that off the top there's of my no head. way that there's a that level of tournament bfl was one with a single fish like i think Billy might have the record for fewest number of fish in a BFL win. Hey, there was a West Point tournament back in the 70s, a West Point tournament, major circuit of the day. Can't remember what it was offhand, but it was one with a single fish and it had over 100 boats. Steve Kennedy's dad win that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going to say the BFL I won probably had 150 or 160 boats in it. There you go. But, you know, I got lucky and caught a 5-1, I think it was, and had a two-pounder to go with it. He did not get lucky. He's damn good. I was looking before this. I didn't realize you have three BFL wins. Yes, sir. There's not that many people that can say that. Unless your name is uh, Clapper. There you go. <laughs> Steve. Steve's the king. King Clapper. Yeah. Or Brent Anderson. <laughs> yeah, he's won a bunch too. All right, Billy, anything else you want to get in here about Fish Insider before we let... Oh, nope, he's Whoa, done. We lost him. I think he got a call is what him. it is. He'll be back in. There, oh, there he is. is. He back, Billy? Yes, I'm back. All right. Anything else you want to get in here before we let you get back on the uh, the fish-free vacation? No, I need to jump off here. I appreciate you guys letting me be here. All today. right. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank you, guys. Billy. Hey, Matt, while I'm thinking about it, if you don't mind, I also want to mention that uh, Fish Insider works with fishing guides as well. If you make your living in the industry, we have something that will help you do better business. And fishing guides certainly work within the industry. I've got a lot of buddies who are fishing guides, and I always, I always joke with them and say for them, every day is a blind date uh, because they've got to assess things. But we've got oh, some programs so that we're, we're getting ready to launch that are going to be uh, lucrative and, and very powerful for fishing guides and manufacturers. Okay. Have you, you like that? You like blind date? Uh, used to. No, I mean... I mean the fishing guide reference. <laughs> yes, <That's a laughs> I'm not. I'm not prying, Matt. I'm not prying. That's a 
That is a fantastic reference there. Kendrick. I never I never saw you I never saw you back up so quickly. <laughs> do you know uh do you know how many like bass fishing guides there are? There are seventeen. In the country? No, I have no idea, man. Do you That's have any idea? Question. Because it feels to me like there's been more and more. Like especially well, recently. Now you've got the specialty, especially with the forward facing sonar and the big fish boom and all of the the social media and access to me, it seems like and maybe it's just because I'm in the industry, but it seems like everybody I know is either a part-time guide, a full-time guide, a specialty guide. They do a few trips, a ton of trips. Does that seem like that to you? Like there's been a lot more guiding opportunities that have popped up specialty-wise, especially over the past five years? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't have a feel for it. I will tell you, I think that by law, everybody who works in a Bass Pro Shops has to guide at least part-time. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's a couple of people I've seen at Bass Pro I wouldn't want to guide me. Oh, there's also absolutely. a lot that I have. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, that, that's a great question though. Um, I think the guide business has changed so much since since I've been fishing. And listen, and when I got into question. it, there wasn't the okay. Here's the there's so many subcategories. You've got the hey, I'll teach you your electronics. I'll get in your boat for X number of dollars. And we'll go over electronics and yeah. mapping and stuff. That's one type of guiding. Then there's the, like what my buddy Rick Harris is doing with Hill Country Hammers down on OHIV. There's, hey, you pay a thousand bucks a day. We bust our butt, try to get you on a 10 pounder, a 10 to 12 pounder. It's like a, it's almost like a trophy hunt excursion. Yeah. That one harkens back to the days in Florida, back in the sixties and seventies, where if you didn't catch a 10, you didn't pay. Um, and then there really? were a lot of guys, oh yeah, yeah. Guys like John McClanahan, Dennis Ron, even Doug Hannon. Uh, those guys guaranteed tens guarantee you a 10. I'm assuming that's all live shad or golden shiners. Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, you're, you're fishing with a live golden shiner under a float or on a free line or something like that. But yeah, that was a thing back in the sixties and probably into the mid seventies. Was it because there was so much less pressure out there or how did, how were they able to do that? Was it that much better than it is now? Uh, I think it was, well, let's, let's put it this way. The intelligent pressure was so much less. Yeah. Um, you're talking about guys who are out there every day and, and, you know, back, you won't remember this because you're much younger than I am, but, but back in the day when I started bass fishing in the early seventies, the saying was, and, and I think everybody believed it, was that 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish. I've heard of it. Yep. I don't think that's anywhere close to true anymore. I, I think it's much more egalitarian now. And, and knowledge is so much more widespread. But back then, yeah, it wasn't that the pressure was so, so, so much less. It was that the intelligent pressure was less. And of course, Florida's got a lot of water. You know, I don't know how many tens of thousands of lakes there are in Florida, but these guys were fishing on on waters that that basically never saw uh, another boat. They're throwing out live shiners there. If they've got a client who can just sit down and wait them out, they're probably going to put them on a great fish. The live bait is mind numbing when you actually think about it. So yesterday I went out with my buddy and we were crappie fishing. We got there at the break of the break of dawn because it was uh, 105 and we ended up staying all that time. But anyway, we got out there, caught a few, had probably a dozen in an hour and a half. 
and at 7 a.m the bait store opened so at like eight we're like hey you need to get off the water and go get minnows and uh i went and got six dozen minnows and by the time i got back and we got back out there it was live bait is terrifying like as if you're a, 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 a an artificial only or a tournament guy it's amazing the percentage and how much your percentage goes up on fish that see your stuff to fish that bite it when you're using live bait. I don't think the yes. average bass angler who doesn't ever use live bait understands how low a percentage in most cases of the fish that see your offering to the fish that bite it are. Because I mean, we went, I mean, it was five to one. You'd have all these crappie, they'd rise up out of the brush, they'd nose up on it and they wouldn't eat it. We'd say, Oh my gosh, it's a minnow day. And we'd get those minnows. They just shoot right up and don't, we'd catch them. We ended up catching like 38 keepers. Yeah. Uh, I think if you haven't shiner fished in, in Florida, Matt, which I never have to try, uh, not only is your number of bites likely to go way up, but the average size of fish you catch is going to go. Will up you not too. lose all confidence throwing artificial in Florida after you shiner fish then? Uh, you know, maybe not because there are some things you can do with artificials that you can't really do with live bait. For example, you're not going to cover water. Uh, you're not going to effectively punch. You might be able to get a shiner to swim into the mat, but you don't know if he's mired up in, in vegetation or not, whereas you can put your ounce and a half on and punch right through. But if they're, if they're out on the weed beds, especially if you've got a low light day and they're roaming a little bit in Florida, um, it's hard, hard, hard to beat a live shiner. Mm -hmm. and, and trolling a live shiner, is a fabulous way really? to get bit by a giant. Oh yeah. You just put a couple of rod holders out on either side. You start to meander along the weed edge or something. Meanwhile, you're throwing a, a hollow body frog or you're pitching and punching or you're throwing a speed worm. And, and you just look back every once in a while to see what that floats doing because uh, it's a great way to get hooked up with a, the biggest fish of the day. I know you've touched on this a little bit on the big bass podcast with uh, Terry Mm -hmm. but aren't there a number of large mouth, small mouth spots, all that in the top 25 that are live bait fish? I mean, would you not say that the, the most famous live bait trophy bass fisherman would have to be Bob Krupe, wouldn't it? Yeah, Krupe's way up there, and he got most of his fish on crawdads yeah. in, uh, in Southern California in those Los Angeles, San Diego area lakes, uh, mostly back in the 80s and 90s. And yeah, he was throwing live crawdads out there on, on relatively light lines, you know, four, six, eight pound monofilament back in the day. And uh, it's just hard to beat the real thing, you know, very hard to beat the real thing. We've got a uh, Big Bass podcast episode planned here for pretty soon with a guy by the name of Sean Rush. And Sean is probably the best Big Bass guide in Florida. He uses big shiners. He can put you on a big fish in the Ocala National Forest or or that part of the state. And uh, more, I think more of his clients register trophy catch fish, which is kind of Florida's equivalent to uh, share lunker, except it actually works. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Sean is is I I met Sean when Glenn Lau, the great Glenn Lau, yep. called me up one day and said, hey. I want you to meet the best fishing guide I've ever met. And he said, oh. Sean Rush. So when Glenn Lau says that, that's, that's pretty, pretty mm -hmm. big deal. Uh, wasn't the world or tied tied for the world record. Wasn't that a live bait fish? 
Yeah, Manabu Kurita's fish in 2009 in Japan, which was basically 21, 22 pounds, 5 ounces, was caught on essentially a live bluegill. And he was bait fishing around some bridge pilings. He had seen a lot of massive fish there. And, and Kurita claimed that the smallest fish in that pod is the one that ate his bluegill and it weighed 22.5. So, did, uh, yeah. did you start out bass fishing with a night crawler? Like a live night crawler, I did number eight gold Aberdeen hooks, eight pound test mono on a Mitchell spinning rod and reel, going to the Rock Springs ponds and taking a big Canadian crawler. You want to keep them as cold as possible so you have an ice pack in it. You just hook it straight through the tip of the nose and then pitch it around. Let that thing wriggle completely free of weight, everything on the way down. I mean, that's how I bass fished for three or four years. I mean, when I started. Yeah, I started pretty much the same way uh, i think i was fishing a, a a night crawler under a bobber um and that was it i mean i caught my first fish which was a bluegill fishing a cricket under a bobber and uh yeah that's uh you know bluegill or bluegill is the gateway drug and uh and we go from there you know most a lot of people stay with bluegill and there's nothing wrong with that catching a bluegill on, on ultralight or a fly rod or something is a blast uh for me, I was excited to try bass, and, and my first efforts there were, were with a night crawler. And in fact, I, I I will admit it right here on Bass Talk Live. My the biggest bass I've ever caught, I caught on a night crawler when I was twelve years old. No way. Yes, sir. How big was it? Twelve four. You caught a twelve four on a night crawler. Yes, sir. Is this public knowledge? Uh, the twelve four is kind of public knowledge, but the nightcrawler might not be. What, what was there? A, was there a bobber involved too? No, no. Okay, uh, okay. I was, okay. I, was, I was I was too sophisticated for a bobber. Okay. Matt, come on, man. What was the exact setup? How did that one come about on a nightcrawler? It was a spinning rod. I think it was a an old old eagle claw spinning rod. I forget what kind of spinning reel it was. But it was probably a Sears brand spinning reel because back then Sears was mm -hmm. a thing. And uh, the line on it had probably been on there for a couple of years. So who knows what it tested. If it tested more than six pounds, I'd have been shocked. Um, and, and I was out fishing. In a, I lived on a farm at the time in South Carolina. And uh, I had a chance to go fishing before a, a, a junior high football game or, or middle school football game, I guess. At that were time. you playing or were you the statistician for the team? I was playing, Matt. Okay, Jeez. I'll just make Jeez. it sure. I was I was the left guard on offense and I was a middle linebacker on defense. Thank you. Oh, I, I wow. wasn't two way player. Oh yeah, well everybody's a two play two way player at twelve years old. But uh, you know I was not a, a really big kid. I was a pretty good sized kid, but not really big. But I made up for it by being remarkably slow. And <laughs> I had a chance to do a little bit of fishing before I had to go play that night. And so I had my trusty spinning rod, and I put a night crawler on, and I zing to cast out there in retrospect i think i hit a weed line in the pond and uh something picked it up i set the hook 12 cleaned pounder. that fish and ate it wait you cleaned a 12 pounder and ate it cleaned a 12 do you have any pictures of this any yeah have you shown this on your show uh i don't think we've shown it on the show I think you and Terry need to do a show where you talk about your own big bass encounters. That would be interesting because I'm sure that's part in part what led to your obsessions with it. That's a fine point, sir. That is a fine point. Um, you're right. 
you're absolutely right. That that did factor in really big uh, to wanting to do the Big Bass podcast because I'd much rather catch one big fish than a lot of little fish, mm-hmm. but I still like catching a lot of little fish. So I'm not one of those guys who can go out there and, and throw the giant swim bait all day. That makes me start craving it, mad, but um, I do... I do like catching big fish. Was it you that was telling me that the two best tasting types of bass are spawning bass and bass over eight pounds? <laughs> no, was that, do not do not pin that on me. I did not that, say that. I never that said any you? such thing. No, oh, I thought, no, I that was you. I have said a lot of outrageous things on Bass Talk Live, as you know. You, you have some of them have put some of them put me in time out, <laughs> but. Uh, but I did not say that, nor would I ever say that. Okay. But bass are delicious. Let's not let's not forget. Bass are delicious. When uh, I cleaned that fish, that fish had a backbone, you know, like this. I had to yep. chop its head off with an axe. I was told I, I didn't know anything. On that note, we're gonna take our first break of the show. Uh when we get back, yeah, we'll talk about some more controversial stuff because I, I believe that and I don't mean this in an offensive way because you wrote the record book, Ken, like there wouldn't be a record book without you. That's just the honest to God truth. But I feel like you can throw the record book out because of forward facing sonar over the last three years, average of wins, average age of angler, how much experience plays, uh, what a limit means. That whole thing is obsolete now. And I don't mean to, for you to take offense to that because you're the one who made that, but I would love to get your opinion on that. Can we dive into that after the first break of the show? Oh, baby. Yes, we can. You know it. All right. Uh, Fish Insider. Your title has Chief in it or something, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, my title is Editor-in-Chief. Okay. Editor-in-Chief um, of Fish Insider. Exactly. Ken Duke. We'll be back. BTL on a Monday, August 21st, right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft-touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush. Everything you need. One legendary brand. Top one on Strike King. Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years' experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. 
What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic. That gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. The great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastic from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the Cliffhanger Worm and the Ramtail Craw. Great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that. Several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year, catches fish all over the country, and I think it's going to catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors including Pearl Shad which has this bleached out white look but it's got this pearlescent really really pretty. We've got Copper Shad which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back really really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. All right, we're back. How's that? Now I got you. I'm no, I got you. It just, it just, everything went down on me. I didn't even say anything bad about the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Um, as a matter of fact, I am now a supporter of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. I am looking forward to going to the induction ceremony at the end of August. You're so, going. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to being there. I hope I'm. I hope I'm allowed in the door. But uh, I am embracing the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. All right. Uh, one of your. Well, you have a lot of good friends that are in that hall of fame but one of your good friends mike iconelli getting inducted uh this time around and of course very well deserved mike mike's a, a slam dunk hall of famer and i'm looking forward to to watching him be inducted uh i think september 28th so good stuff oh you say it too good stuff that's what i say too much everyone's like dude you say good stuff too much but maybe i got it from you no maybe no, no. you're it's, the it's one who you're the one who infected me with that saying. <laughs> you can't blame me for everything, Matt Pangrat. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, before the break and then uh, the glitch, forward-facing sonar, throw the rule book out on it, everything you've done over the last 20 years on who should win, how much it should take, where they should win the whole nine yards, no longer uh, relevant. Yes, no, the floor is yours. I'm very interested in what you have to say about this and if you've done any research since uh, forward facing sonar has become so prominent across the bass fishing landscape. Uh, first of all, I deny your premise that it has changed everything. I think it has changed a lot, but I don't think it's changed the things that you're referencing there. Uh, let's, let's offer a little bit of, of history and background here. Uh, Garmin Panoptics Live Scope, the first forward facing sonar, was introduced in 2018. It was such a big deal, even at the time. People, people, 
instantly realized this is a big deal. It won overall best of show at ICAST that year. Now, realistically, it took a it took a year or so, or maybe two, for everybody to acquire some form of forward-facing sonar. And Matt, you and I remember very well when pros with the other major electronics brands were going out and buying live scope just so they'd have it mm -hmm. on their boats. And this is when I first started, and I expect you first started seeing boats with uh, sonar units set up like dominoes. You yep. would see Garmin for this and Humminbird for that and Lowrance for something else. You'd see, you'd wonder how, how this thing can't go to the moon with all that sophistication on it. Well, I think the, the very best way to assess the impact of forward-facing sonar is to look at the catch rates out there in tournaments. Okay. And because the data is is so much simpler and straightforward on the Bassmaster Elite Series, also we have more history in the Bassmaster Elite Series since it goes back to uh, 2006. I'm going to focus on that. Um, and the first thing I want to say is that the historical catch rate, the average number of fish brought to the scales by an angler during the entirety of the Elite Series is about four and a half. It's just a shade higher than 4.5, okay? So that's how many bass an angler brings to the scales each day on average. Now, in 2018, before everybody had forward-facing sonar, it was just the Garmin guys who would have had it in 2018, really. Uh, the elites posted the highest catch rate they ever had. They were, uh, what was that number? I've got it right here. They posted a number of almost 4.7. Okay. Okay. That was so the, the very beginning of panoptics. The very beginning of panoptics. But let's also acknowledge that there are a lot of other factors that... Uh, that impact catch rates. And I want to come back to this at the end, but the okay. catch, the things that impact catch rates, can we agree they are, let's call it talent. Um, let's call it venue, how yep. good the fishery is. Let's call it weather or conditions. And then let's, and then after that somewhere we have technology. Okay. So 4.5 is the average. Now, the two worst catch rates, the two very lowest catch rates in Bassmaster Elite Series history came in 2020 and 2021, after everyone had forward-facing sonar. If that comes as a shock to you, I get it. But the catch rates in 2020 and 21 were 4.2 and 4.3. Doesn't sound like a lot, maybe, but that's a massive drop. Now, I'm going to tell you that some of that drop is attributed to the loss of talent in the league at that point. 68 guys had jumped ship from the elites and gone over to the Bass Pro Tour. And that's a significant loss of talent. But there's also the fisheries. There's also the water and weather conditions and so forth and the two worst catch rates in history 20 and 21 that was also the year 20 was the covid year where they moved everything to the fall so they hit all these fisheries during turnover and when it was sucking that that factors into the conditions yep. but that doesn't help you in 21 yeah which is the second worst catch rate in elite history now in 2022 
the catch rate jumped up above, just above 4.5. So that's normal. And that's last year. Now this year, this year is the outlier. This year, it's almost certain that the elites are going to establish a new catch rate record. It's likely to be better than 4.7. So it's going to beat the 2018 number. Okay. But here's what, here's the main point I want to make. In the five elite seasons, since Garmin introduced Panoptics, the catch rate is almost exactly the same as it was for the first 13 years of the elite series. In fact, if you really want to dial down to like four digits, it's a tad lower. Now let's go back to the statement I made a moment ago about what are the factors that really influence catch rates. And let's see if we can agree. Talent is a big one. Yep. Okay. The fishery is a big one. You're going to catch more at uh, St. Lawrence than you are at the Ohio River. Yep. Weather and water conditions are big. If the Mississippi River is blown out, everybody's going to struggle. Yep. Okay. Now, let's put technology. Would you agree that technology is also a factor? Yes. That's the okay. whole premise of this discussion. So, I'm going to my argument is that so far A, we really don't have enough data to show that that forward-facing sonar is having that big an impact on catch rates. And whatever impact it's having is is negligible based on the information we have right now. Okay, so now let's take a look at tournament fishing here because I think okay. that's what that's what we're interested in. Okay. On this conversation. Um, if we agree that talent, fishery, conditions, and technology are our four big factors, what is the factor that we want, that we as, as tournament fans want to be the biggest factor in determining the outcome of a tournament? I would assume skill. You want talent to win out. I'm right with you. I want talent to win out as well. Now I want you to take off your hat, that hat, your tournament fan and tournament angler hat. Yep. And I want you to put on your hat as a guy who works with sponsors, as a guy who works in the industry, as a guy who, uh, who needs the sport fishing industry to be successful and lucrative. Talent, fishery, conditions, technology. Which one do you want to be the biggest factor? Obviously technology. Technology, exactly. You know why? Because we want the angler to be able to purchase success. Or at least yeah. think he can purchase success. Yeah. We want to make money. We want to bring more people into the sport. We do that through technology. So, and I know you may not be going exactly to this place, but I, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, let's ban forward-facing sonar in, in competition. Well, they're not. They're not thinking about it, in my opinion, from the right perspective. Uh, they're not considering all the elements to what this is. They they are putting tournament fishing ahead of the entire sport. Mm -hmm. And I think that's foolish and dangerous. If we ban forward-facing sonar in tournaments, what we're effectively doing is cutting off all publicity for it. 
because if it's not allowed in tournaments, it's not going to get the same kind of spotlight. Mm-hmm. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot as an industry. And we've run out of feet to shoot. We've run out of feet. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've already, we've already killed beginner content in the major publications. We've already killed content about fishing farm ponds or fishing from the bank. We've already eliminated content about fishing from small boats or buying a used boat or something like that. We've turned this into a rich man's sport and uh, our petition, our participation, which from 1991 till 2020 did nothing but go down, spiked in 2020 due to COVID, Mm -hmm. but now it's back down again. What's more, since 1980 something at the latest, since the 80s, the percentage of anglers who buy fishing licenses and who identify themselves as bass anglers has declined every single year. We do not need to do something so amazingly stupid as banned technology. So I know that's I know that was I gave you a larger bite than maybe mm-hmm. what you were looking for. Maybe no, heck no, that's a that was a delicious things. bite. <laughs> but but that's my perspective on the whole forward facing sonar thing. A there's no significant evidence that it's making an impact in catches, at least at the elite level. B if we if we take it away, uh, we're doing so without data. We're not following the science. And we're hurting the larger industry, which should be something we're trying to support because tournaments need to support the industry, not the other way around. That's well said. Thank you, sir. Okay. Now what about statistics? Are we seeing, even though it might not be, is there a chance that perhaps what, instead of, Oh my gosh, I got a limit of keepers now guys are coming in with limits of three and four pounders because, Hey, the catch rate might not be up because they only need to catch five. And with four phasing sonar, you could target three to five pounders. So you don't need to catch more. You know, uh, there are not, there's not a lot of evidence to support that either. Since the onset of forward facing sonar, overall average bass weights in the elite series have inched up a little bit. Like but how much is a little bit? A, a little bit is like not uh, pounds. No, it's it's an ounce or two. It's it's less than two ounces. So you've got the same, if not lower, catch rates, and the same, if not slightly higher slightly weight. Slightly higher weights. Yes. So, and 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 you know what? And like we were talking about earlier, is that due to talent? Is that due to weather? Is that due to fishery? Or is that due to technology? Bass fishing has so many variables. I think it's impossible for us to attribute any of those changes simply to technology. Is this all people- just BS? Is this whole thing a marketing BS ploy? Do the do the electronics companies have people in reverse psychology on the message boards and on like I mean, is is Randy getting paid by all of the electronics companies to be a counterpoint to this to actually sh- make it seem like it's bigger than it actually is? Well, you, you threw a lot of different players at me in that. I'm just question. saying, is this a giant conspiracy deal? No, it's 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 the industry doing what the industry does, which uh, 
which is depending on your perspective, you point to heroes or villains. Mm -hmm. And uh, if your perspective is that of a professional angler who maybe is a little bit behind the curve on the technology, then it's a villain. If you're uh, an industry person who requires uh, big sales and electronics, then forward-facing sonar is a hero. And if you're a person with limited tools and you are you think of yourself as being a, a hammer, and I'm not talking about a good angler there, I'm talking about a tool, a hammer, then every problem starts to look like a nail. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just so narrow. And I, I hate that because people need to, especially people who are in a position of influence and who have an audience, they need to consider other perspectives and they don't. And I think it's uh, quite often it's because of, of um, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, they're just too stupid to realize they're stupid. The what effect? They're these psychologists back in the, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, Dunning and Kruger, and they they did a fascinating study, and they determined that uh, the less intelligent a person is, the more likely it is they'll never realize they're not intelligent. <laughs> so so the, the the stupidest people are most likely to think they're the smartest. Okay. And the smartest people are most likely to have doubts about their own intelligence. Okay. So you show me somebody who uh, who is just damn sure of himself on something like this, and I'll show you somebody who's a freaking idiot. Okay. Uh, I will I will double down on that because Matt Ellis's comment that said with nearly five hundred high school tournament boat tournament high tournaments, it seems counterintuitive that participation is declining. What he is referring to is the four hundred eighty boat high school national championship that took place on Lake Hartwell recently. And what I have done is not said anything publicly about this because it's not the kids fault that they're jamming 500 damn boats onto a fishery that should maybe support 150 boats. The 220 boat open was a stretch on that fishery. And I think that it is incredibly irresponsible and counterproductive to growing anglers. And they're making it look like a cash cow and a money grab by jamming 480 boats on a fishery. It's a disservice to the freaking kids who should have qualified for it it's a it's it's a a shining example of a participation where we want these guys to experience the national championship i think it should be 150 boat max you're teaching them horrible freaking uh it's not the way it is you're 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 not teaching them pattern fishing you're teaching them fishing in a crowd this is not the way real life is it is not enjoyable for the kids who have to get in the damn water three and a half hours at 2 30 in the morning before the tournament starts it doesn't highlight the talent the skill anything of these kids it's a national championship not if you compete you should make it to the national championship i agree there are thousands of these things i think it's incredibly irresponsible for the fishery to have a thousand anglers they're all bringing stuff in it diminishes the experience of everybody as a whole and while i am wholeheartedly forward support high school fishing i think it's total bs that they would put 500 boats in a damn tournament and screw over the kids and everyone that's involved with it and that should never happen again and everybody who is in that should contact 
bass and they're doing it on FLW and they're doing it in Texas and independent and it's everything on it. And it's given high school fishing a bad name. And there's nothing good about those that many boats on a fishery and in it. And there's people that need to be held responsible for putting that many boats on a freaking fishery in a tournament and screwing over that many people. And it really, really ticks me off, Ken. I agree with everything you just said there, Matt. That's too many boats. That's the that's a not, not a quality experience. I would say to Mr. Ellis, whom I don't know, and with all due respect, sir, uh, that is a a ground level view of the sport. You went out there and you saw something. You know what? If you went out and you saw somebody catch tw- a ten pound bass in his first cast, you would think that's what everybody does in one cast. What I'm telling you is that license sales are down across the freaking nation. Okay, I'm not looking at one derby on one body of water. I'm looking at the U.S. Fish and mm-hmm. Wildlife Service numbers across the country, and that's what you got to look at, man. You can go out your, you can look out your window and see any number of things. You can look out your window and see a tornado and assume they are everywhere when they are not. And you can look out at a tournament on high school somewhere at Hartwell or wherever it was, and you can see 500 boats. But that is not the national story. You mm-hmm. got to pay attention to the bigger picture here because if you look only out your own window, God knows what you might see. And yeah, there, there are challenges too at that local level, but I'm trying to talk about a, a larger perspective. We're here on Bass Talk Live, people all over the country yeah. and, and the world are watching this show and I'm trying to speak from a bigger perspective. You do know Matt Ellis though. He was from the Outdoor Scoreboard. Remember Matt? Hey Matt. Anyway, uh, uh, that I was going to do an entire 15 minute segment on that. I want to do an entire show on it. I get emails. I get messages from frustrated coaches. I get messages from frustrated fathers. On the other end, I get messages from people who have won these tournaments that are like, hey, we want to come on. It turns it into a total crapshoot, in my opinion. Well, I, I agree with you. And and Matt, I'm sorry if I came off a, a bit strident there. It's no, no, no. Unfortunately, what I do. Um, but to, to Matt's point that it was counterintuitive, yeah, it's that's counterintuitive, but you're only looking at one thing. No, I mean, my I know. God, if you, uh, if you went out there and the, the ramp was empty, you'd say to yourself, Oh my God, nobody's fishing anymore. You gotta, you gotta have a, a wider perspective. And I think that, I think, I think Matt having a, a full show on this is great. There's a few things people need to keep in mind about growing our sport. And that is that, um, I think it's 86% of all the licensed anglers in this country started fishing before they were 12 years old. These high school and college programs, by and large, are not growing the sport. They are not. Now, maybe they're keeping kids involved more. That's that's yet to be seen, but there's no significant data right now to support that. There's no significant data showing that expenditures or are, are, are that, that mm-hmm. buying is going up. There's no no data to support that they're growing the sport. None that I none at all. And and there's a lot of anecdotal data, which I don't want to get into that, because again, that's looking at it through a, a microscope rather than a a telescope here, a broader perspective, but there's even a lot of influence that it's turning a lot of kids off in these communities. And a 500 boat derby on Hartwell would certainly turn me a off. A 500 boat derby anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Anywhere. Let's, I mean, think about it on, on Erie. That's too much on the opens are a Bend, nightmare. It's much. even worse on those fisheries because you have specific, the opens. I mean, we talk about, the 200 to 230 boats that it, that that are in the opens and the impact that that does on a fishery that's you know a lot of guys aren't practicing with a co-angler you have limits of practice on that i mean you've got a thousand kids 
and they're kids. I mean, they're impressionable kids. And you're putting them in a situation that every other adult tournament angler would look at and be like, that sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. Why would I want to be a part of that? And you're forcing these kids to do that? And and the, why are there so many boats in it? Entry fees, money, sponsors. Like, it, it has nothing to do with actually teaching. How th There's no real life scenario where you would fish another 500 boat tournament on the fishery like that there's there isn't one it's the only thing that's why it seems so outlandish i mean i guess maybe then you fish the opens and you're like my god i've got 100 yards on either side of me and this is like the freaking <laughs> surface of the moon i don't think i can quite reach the next boat to me with a long cast you know that's then you feel yeah. like you you feel like you're in listen this is water. nothing against the kids marshall uh uh or uh marty robinson's boy won that tournament he's from there obviously it's not luck because there's still skill involved and we've seen that the robinson family is loaded with talent uh so and you know they're they're from there you see a lot of the the quality high school anglers that are still at the top but i'm talking as an overall I don't want to fish a 500 boat tournament and I'm a lot older than a high school kid. You know, uh, we look at tournament data through the decades and, uh, back in the day, uh, the biggest BASS events would have maybe 330. Yeah. That seemed anglers. ridiculous at the time. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're forgetting a very important point. Two pros in each boat, so there's really only yes. 150 boats. Exactly. There are fewer boats in a lot of the opens now, most of the opens now. So uh, it was it was actually less pressure. And, uh, and and not only less pressure in terms of numbers, but a, a lot less pressure in terms of, of angling talent. Wow. Because, there, yeah, there was Bill Dance and Roland Martin and mm -hmm. Hank Parker and Rick Clun, but there was also Joe Bob who couldn't throw a bait caster and stuff like that. Uh, I was, I was up in uh, Michigan recently and we we're standing around a boat drinking beer like bass anglers do. And Gussie <laughs> was there. And what a great guy he is. He is. This is, this is two of the great guys in the sport. Gussie was there and uh, Jordan Lee was there and they started talking about when Jordan Lee was fishing as a co-angler on the FLW tour and he drew Gussie as his boater. So little did you know that within 10 years, they'd be they have three classic have, wins. They would have flipped. Think about this. They would have flip flop tours and had three classic wins be between them, which is crazy to think about, but they were talking about that day on the water and it was so cool. Like dang back then, literally Jordan Lee is a co-angler. Gussie is one of the only Canadians fishing the FLW tour at the time. I think he might've been one of the first ones uh, on the FLW tour back then, but uh, it was really cool to hear that. We could, we could pay tribute to Gussie by having, doing the rest of the show in Canadian, in the Canadian language, eh? Oh my gosh. Uh, all right. We're going to take our final break of the show. When we come back, I, I, I don't want to dive into this because we're talking a two hour show. I want to have you back uh, in like a, a week and a half or two weeks because this is an entire show we're already an hour into this one 
uh, Ken, and I want to be able to dive into it like we dove into this last one. And that is uh, the weighting the criteria for the BTL most important or angler of the year. Hallman and I did it last year. We got torn apart on our criteria and how we weighted it. So we both said, okay, there's one guy who can properly weight this in accordance with history. It's Ken Duke. We're talking overall, everything involved. Ooh. So will you come back on in a week and a half, two weeks to, to break that down? The answer to Matt Pangrak is always yes. Okay. Am I, did I, I know I got fired up on this. Here's what, here's, here's, here's my deal on the high school fishing. If there's anybody out there, if you are a coach, if you run one of the organizations, if you, okay, take the chamber of commerce out because they want as many people there as possible outside of that, which is a money deal which I can't blame them. If you are a uh, high Follow school angler who fished in that national championship, if you are involved in any way outside of a chamber of commerce, if you can come on BTL and explain to me how much you enjoyed the 500 boats in that tournament and how it enhanced the the tournament experience and enhance the fishery and how much you learned from the 500 boats and how it was a great experience having to get there at 2 a.m. to get in the water. Matt, M-A-T-T, at BassZone.com. Email me. I'll give you a guest spot on BTL, and you can try to prove me wrong as to how that is one of the worst things that has ever happened as far as the youth in the sport in high school fishing. Is that a fair challenge, Ken Duke? I think it's a challenge that no one will be able to live up to, but I think the only, the only entity in the mix that's going to be able to fix that is uh, the sponsors. And I think once the sponsors come to their senses and realize that this is not, these programs are not moving the needle for them. Um, then the stuff is going to, the madness will end. All right, stick around because I do want to wrap things up. I want to talk a little bit about uh, this year and then uh, also mention once again, you, you're going to be at the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame banquet this year, like well, you mentioned at me the in. beginning of the show. If y'all let me in. Uh, of course they're going to let you in. You're Ken Duke. <laughs> Which uh, might also be the only problem why you can't get let in. Exactly. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the Elite Series this year, and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, Ken Duke from Fish Insider, BTL on a Monday. We'll be back right after this. Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success, in my opinion. In the last couple of years with Denali, I've had just that. From anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels, I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is going to handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point, so make sure you check them out. Shoreline Boat and RV. Dock rash, storm damage, collision repair. That deep scratch or gouge from trying to access that secret creek. Shoreline Boat and RV can get your prize possession back in mint condition and looking good on the water, fast. All repairs are done in-house, so they're able to get your boat or RV back to brand new, quickly. All Shoreline's work comes with a rock-solid warranty. Find out more at ShorelineBoatAndRV.com. Kansas City, Austin, and Tulsa. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. 
Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips, so if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing, from household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Nah, I'm sure we ticked off a bunch of people today, Ken. I, I probably ticked off Matt Ellis, and I want to apologize to Matt for that because uh, not my intention. I guess when somebody when somebody makes a, an argument against a broad statement based on on national numbers mm-hmm. or something like that, and their their response is to is to push back by saying, you know, well, there's this there's instance Looking at of it isolated. Yeah. yeah, isolated. Well, I, I get that. And uh, and I, I get that it was uh, counterintuitive, but I, I just think it's uh, uh, it's frustrating because if anytime you make a, a broad statement about a condition, I can you know anybody can easily come back and say, oh, there's this one instance where that's not mm-hmm. the case. So, and then Steve says, Matt is a forward-facing sonar guy and refuses to see it any other way. It's bad for the sport and it doesn't make you a better fisherman. So where has the sport gone? I would counter by saying, I wish I was a forward-facing sonar guy 100% of the time because I have tried to mix it into my arsenal. And as you can see, I'm in 42nd place in the standings in the Bassmaster Opens this year. And had I been a forward-facing sonar guy and actually relied exclusively on the technology, I probably would be a much higher because there is a group of young guns that are absolutely destroying everybody and they are noted forward-facing sonar guys uh up at the top but if you also listen to the uh to the beginning of the show i I don't know i don't know where i stand in this because your statistics show otherwise but but it doesn't mean that those numbers aren't being reached a completely different way than they had been reached prior to 2018 now that's a point i really like because i can tell you that the oldest angler to win an elite series tournament this year uh is only 34 years old Oh my gosh. So, Are the age crazy. is the age dropping down of winners? This year it is. But before this year it really wasn't. Uh but this year it's way down. It's way down. The average age of a winner this year is probably around 32 33 because we've had four 34-year-old winners out of the uh out of the nine tournaments. And I'm assuming that Fujita is going to win today. Um but uh, yeah, as far as as far as Steve's point about the um, forward-facing sonar guy, he says he doesn't believe it makes an angler. It doesn't make a person a better angler. Well, does does down imaging make you a better angler? Does does GPS make you a better angler? Side does, imaging. 
side imaging making? Yeah, I would venture to say Harold Allen. If those things do, then by God, Ford Facing does too. Yeah. No, 100% does. I mean, think there was a time when Harold Allen could go under the bridge at Toledo Bend, and he was one of only three or four guys out there who could triangulate the hump using the tree the buzzards always use, the bush on the freaking bank and where he is to find a high spot that you could only find dragging a freaking window weight on a rope behind the boat. Yes, it's all perspective. You know, it's all about a lot of it's about when you grew up and and what you're used to and what you think the, the uh, base. Okay, you've been be. around a while. Was there a, was there a backlash on GPS? Was there a backlash on 2D sonar, color sonar, side imaging? I kind of remember the side imaging. It was right when I was getting into it. Everyone seemed to be more amazed with it. There never seemed to be. The only thing I heard was the brush pile guys going, well, now everyone can find my brush piles. It's going to make brush pile fishing obsolete. That only that only pissed off the people who were working hard, the brush yeah. pile makers. So that, that didn't piss off many people at all. But in history, have there hard. been? I mean, yes. you saw those ads, those ads that go back to the in the magazines that are like, now you can just look at this and find the fish. I mean, so that, that this oh. is not a new this is not a new controversy. No, it happens all the time in the 50s when Lawrence was introducing sonar units. You know, their little green box, their little red box back in the late 50s and stuff. Enormous opposition to that in efforts to ban it in states. Um, then when the soft plastic worm uh, came along in the late 40s, enormous opposition to that. Bass can't resist these things. Let's ban them. We can't have soft plastic worms. That's wrong. Um, and of course, uh, not so much pushback on GPS. Uh but GPS kind of came in gradually, you know, GPS mm -hmm. was available, but not that good. And then suddenly when the, the U S military kind of released a lot of the blocks on it and made it wildly accurate, it, it didn't, it didn't just suddenly burst on the scene. Um, FFS is way different than the other technology. How, how is it really? different than the, it's literally, really, Steve. it's literally the same. It's just at a different angle. It's yeah, it's, it's, uh, 360 yeah it's come on come there on. were people going i vive, i remember going holy cow we can see out to the side of the boat as we idle now this is going to i mean it was as big as forward-facing sonar people are so quick to forget they were what that did was you now had guys who were idling the entire practice except all over the lake now. Yes. I mean, it, it. you didn't, I don't remember hearing people talk about when Timmy Horton on Kentucky Lake on the final day side imaged for seven out of his eight hours before he saw a group of fish on his side imaging and he pulled off and caught 20 pounds on it. I don't, I don't remember hearing the people going, what, why? Oh, this is horrible. No one wants to watch a guy sit and idle for seven hours and then catch him. It was celebrated as look at the balls this guy has to sit in the driver's seat and look for a school of fish for seven and a half hours. But, and he's looking on the side of his boat while he idles. But for some reason, if a guy wants to look while standing on his boat in front of him for the same amount of time before he finds a school of fish, that's boring and it should be banned. You know, Tim Horton is such a great example to bring up here with regard to sonar technology. 
because in 2000, when Tim Horton broke in at about the age of 26 or 27, and he won AOY as a rookie for bass, um, he was uh, an electronics guru. He was a genius. He was far ahead of, of most of his peers. Not all, but far ahead of, of most of them. And as the technology got better and better and better, Tim's edge got less and less and less. And suddenly, by about 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there, uh, the guys who could just launch the boat, turn on their sonar, and set it to auto had basically closed the gap with those mm -hmm. people like wow. who are super talented like Tim Horton. And, and it ultimately had, you know, took away all his edge and, and now he's out of the sport on a competitive level, but you know, Allegedly. one of the all time greats. Well, yeah. One <laughs> of the all time greats when it comes to electronics Yeah, and, and the technology has, has evaporated the gap between him and the rest of the guys. The other thing I want to say to people who have the same attitude as Steve or anybody who wants to ban forward facing sonar, look at what we're learning about these fish. Look at what we're learning about how they, you know, Mark, Matt, back about the time that we were saying 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish, we were saying, you can have structure without bass, but you will never have bass without structure. We thought that bass always related to some feature in the substrate, okay? And I am properly using the word structure here and and distinguishing it from cover, which is another pet peeve of mine. Uh, but we thought they were always related to structure in some fashion. Now we're, and then, and then finally we drifted away from that. We started to say, okay, sometimes bait fish, schools of bait fish, can can be structure because the bass will will follow them and now we're realizing hey some of these fish are just out there mm -hmm. randomly swimming over deep deep water and they're they're opportunistically feeding or or waiting to move into a, a structure or cover situation where they can better feed we are learning so much do you really want to throw that away i don't want to throw that away i want to learn more Great point. But all right, Fish Insider, fishinsider.com for all of your needs. Sign up for the newsletter. If you're in the industry, aspiring angler, guide, any of that stuff, then go for the full shebang and get the magazine and all that. Yeah. And check out that, check out our, our e newsletter, uh, Fish Insider News or Fin, and get that. We're going to be launching that very soon. As a matter of fact, I think the first edition might have gone out today. Really? Really. I need to get that. That needs to be on my coffee table. Well, I'm not sure it's a coffee table item exactly, but... Well, for me, it, for me, it probably is. There you go. I have Visit Shawnee and the uh, St. Jude Summer Edition magazine. Those are the two magazines on my coffee table, so well, Fish you Insider. Need to, you need to get Fish Insider magazine for your coffee table, but, but you need to get Fish Insider news so when you wake up each morning, you have the latest and greatest. Yeah. And then the, the other, like the official like table I have has your other book on it, like the one that slides out. I remember when your parents brought that book to me and asked me to sign it for you. Mm -hmm. My parents are big fans. You know what they don't like? They don't like 500 boat high school tournaments, Ken, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
You brought it right back around, Matt. Brilliantly done, sir. All right. This has been another edition of BTL Bass Talk Live. Ken will be back on in a couple weeks to talk about the BTL Angler of the Year. Until then, head over to uh, Bassmaster. A lot of people double screen it. They listen to this and they watch the Bassmaster uh, if you're watching it live. If not, we'll be back tomorrow. Omnia Fishing will talk about the trends, tap tactics, lures, line, rod, everything that, uh, that's been getting the job done in all these smallmouth venues. Love the feedback. Even if we disagree with some of the feedback, Steve, you guys makes the show, like I said, most educated fan fan base in bass fishing. That's a tongue twister, but we got our way through it. And we've got the most educated man in bass fishing as a guest today. It's a great combo, Ken Duke. Thank you very much for returning to BTL and Billy. Absolutely. Time my out pleasure. of vacation. Yes. Thanks to Bill. Matt, thanks to you, brother. Appreciate you. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Later. <laughs>